0: White men in masks are heroes. Black men in masks, they're scary. I'm Ariel Celeste.
1: Hi. And I'm Chris Byv. And I'm Eddie Webb.
0: And today we talk about Watchmen, the TV series on Genreless.
1: Hello and welcome to, we're here, we're here, we're at the end, we, we've finally made it, we're at the end of our, our run on superheroes, and as usual we uh, Why uh, invite Why are you lying to these on. people?
2: No, 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 no. You're lying to all these people. We're not on the end of superheroes. We've decided to keep going and we're going to season two of all the shows. We're talking season two Loki, we're talking season two WandaVision, season two Captain America the Winter Soldier. Nothing but mediocre marvel shows for the next six months are, are you just gonna read stuff from podcast.
1: fanfiction.net is that what's happening for some of these
2: because we talked about it we're changing the entire title of the show from Genreless to marvel <laughs> uh, well first of all chris five you can go to hell but <laughs>
1: um we, we have invited a guest on to, to help us to get through this but also because this is a genuinely we're heading on high note. I feel like. This is a really cool show to talk about. So, uh, uh, Ariel, please tell us about yourself and how you get roped into this.
0: Um. Okay, no one said there was a bio part. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Sorry. You can just say just...
2: <laughs> well, through. As, as a living being, we all eventually have to go and do the bathroom thing. It's <laughs> like a book I read to my daughter when she was very young called Everybody Poops. So it is something that we we still live to to this day. Fair enough.
0: Um, Through um, to myself seemingly extraordinary series of events Um, I met Chris in the uh, RPG world and for some reason he seems to like me or at least you know keep me around (laughs) and uh, uh, we talk a lot about Race and politics, and fight about how it's all going to change or not change. And then he asked me to do this. And I'm a sucker for that little head. So here I am. <laughs> well,
1: luckily, this is a show that doesn't cover any of those topics whatsoever, right?
0: <laughs> oh, wait. Okay, I should go. <laughs> I got to go by.
1: Um and, and for full disclosure for the audience, we're recording not only in three different time zones, but also it is very early for for two of my colleagues on this podcast. So um if it's a little more off topic than usual, that's probably why.
2: But is that possible? <laughs> to be yes. more off topic.
1: We we well, okay, it's really? real, we, there's one episode we kind of just abandoned the topic and did something else once. That was probably the worst case scenario, but <laughs> um so to kind of go into this, um, and also for, for Ariel's benefit, um, we did talk about both the original uh, graphic novel and the movie um, prior last week to this. Um, so if you want to hear about some of the context of, of how the graphic novels come forward, we could, we could cover some of that again, I'm sure, because it's going to be relevant. But
2: um, I think the we'll have to cover biggest, it. Sorry. We'll have to at least cover a few pieces of it for Errol because the from the magic of podcasting. While Eddie and I have recorded that, know what we said, all of you will have no idea, including Errol, for at least X amount of time. I will not say how long our lead up time is. It's Fifteen minutes, um, twenty
1: tops. <laughs> 20 tops. Um, uh, but I, I think one thing that's it's worth mentioning at least at the top is that this is explicitly a sequel to the graphic novel and not the movie. Um, uh, The, we talked a little bit last week about the ending of the movie is different from the graphic novel. This assumes the ending of the graphic novel happens. So no to threaten nuclear annihilation. Yes. To giant squid monsters brought about by
2: white. So that's
1: where always good monster. Right. Every time.
2: (laughs) Um, I can make an entire joke about fearing the tentacle, but I guess it's a little early on my end for that.
1: It's again, it- not early for me. So that works.
2: Well, then I'm torn whether or not I go with like a, an anime S tentacle joke, or do I go for like a mythos joke with a tentacle? There's so many, so many tentacles to choose from in so little time.
0: Or an oh, archer cool. joke. Lots of directions. Oh, yes. True. Ooh, nice. Oh,
2: good
1: bull. Um, so beyond that, I mean, uh, I don't have, I personally don't have much of the like, real world context of like how this came about or, um, I mean, it came out in 2019. Did it come out in 2019? Yeah, that's right. 10 years after the movie. 2019. Right? Um, it was, uh, uh, weirdly the second HBO show in a row to feature the exact same, uh, incident of, 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 the bombing of, of a specific place in Tulsa. Well, that was kind of, odd synchronicity i thought but um i mean other than that um
2: lovecraft country i think lovecraft i thought lovecraft country came out after
1: Watchmen. oh you're right you're right it came out in 2020 the pandemic has really yeah. messed up with my, my sense of time
2: in order of things. because i the little bit of real world knowledge you have for it is i remember that when the show came out so many people were shocked to discover that the tulsa was an actual incident compared to something they made up for fiction and if you Thanks. listen to some of the reviewers uh, who are all mostly, no offense to you, my friend, white, who <laughs> were shocked that such a thing was, existed and happened. And they tried to ping the show for not being more clear about reality versus fiction. Oof. I mean, uh. I was I was shocked
1: because I didn't know about it, but not because I thought it was false, but because the American system of teaching history is terrible.
2: A oh, that's you, shocking I, well, that's that's true, and that's generous because they also have politicians who are actively erasing history. But sure, I guess I'm not here Definitely. to break out my soapbox yet. We're only like what five minutes in.
1: <laughs> oh, it's gonna happen. I know. I know what I'm walking into, friends.
2: <laughs> I built a special soapbox for this episode. Nice, right? Um, uh, I have
0: this image of it being like gilded and engraved. And- <laughs> <laughs> lots of gold and silver and yeah
2: you're you're thinking you're thinking that i have these amazing crafting skills oh no think more of like the little kid in a in a wood shop with a hammer and a nail and realizing that you need a saw to build an actual sort of box to stand on so a, that is it's a different... broken off and there's a tree branch somehow stuck to it <laughs> while it does not look aesthetically pleasing it is an ultimately fine weapon of destruction if i get attacked
3: works just as well
2: absolutely so um, I'm joking aside, though, the show received a lot of positive reviews and impact about what it had. And one of the things that I really liked about it was even reading those, I think I want to say that it won a few awards. I'm trying to remember it, it is super early on my end, earlier than normal, which is usually early. And that was incredibly well received. And Damon, Limalo- Damon Lindelof was one of the key was a key driving force behind the show. And recruited a room of diverse writers to help sort of create and tell the story. And Damon Lindelof, I think, is known for his patents of Lost and The Leftovers. Mm-hmm. So, if mm-hmm. you've seen either of those, this has a distinctive feel of that to it. Um, I just double-checked, and
3: holy
1: crap. Um, 26 nominations and 11 Emmy wins.
2: Yeah. Because it uh, was fantastic. a phenomenal show.
1: I, I knew it had some awards. I knew it was that many. That's fantastic.
2: And um, I I'm wasn't I'm not yeah, sure where I was going to put this, but as I'm thinking about it now, I want to talk about it now. Then we can sure. work our way back from there. Um, I had a lot of friends after the show ended who talked about how amazing and phenomenal the show is. Oh, in case you haven't guessed yet, this show is going to get a bunch of praise. So hands down, mm-hmm. if you want to hear me complain about something, go back and listen to me. Yeah, plenty talk of about the Secret episode. Invasion. Go listen to those. Go listen to Genlock. That's a good one. Or Secret oh. Invasion too. Whew, God. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but when the show ended... I loved it. And I wanted a second season. Don't say, you don't. You two don't have to say whether or not you want a second season, which you may be hesitant to after I say this. Um, but I wanted a second season because the show was so exceptional. And most of the friends I had were all like, we don't want another season of this. We want it to end. So it ends on a high note. That is the horrible, horrible and opposite idea you should have. This is a show that had incredible plotting story marginalized people in the leads doing an amazing things with a phenan- with a phenomenal budget to do it. They should have been given 15 seasons, much like Supernatural to do incredible things to have slop sloppy seasons, but to keep telling their story and bring in more and more marginalized people to elevate them to give them more money and more roles and then let them to go and do other shows. They shouldn't be you shouldn't have to be exceptional or extraordinary like that um, to be a person of color and have a show. You should be able to do incredible things in your show and stupid crappy shit in your show and still have it go on and have that same uh, same support. And everyone was against that idea from the jump for this show. And that in of itself is a form of. And some is a slight form of racism from the people I saw that was doing it more than likely subconscious, but still it was there. And that irritates me. And I'm also irritated. There is no second season of this show. Soapbox. There is not. Put away. There is not. And there's no talk of having a second season unless uh, Lindelof comes back and Lindelof says, I've told my story. Interesting. Off Soapbox. Please proceed.
3: Honestly, I think that's.
1: I think it's honestly fair because I suspect a lot of the people who said this should end on a high note probably also said, yeah, but One Division needs a season two. And they They did. The ending of this is way stronger. Um, but also, a second. Honestly, I, I think if this had gone the anthology style, like where the second season covers different characters in that same situation, this doesn't necessarily follow really the Dr. Manhattan arc, as it were. Um, but you talk about different characters in the margins and what they're doing and whatnot. I I think that you could do serialized, or or, sorry, spin-off stuff if you wanted to. Um, But uh, I agree with you. Like There's a certain amount of... um, It was good, so we don't want to touch it because we don't want to do worse that comes with that sometimes, and it's it's frustrating, frankly. It's like, just you should be able to do media over television.
0: Well, I certainly want to applaud Lindelof for not just doing the money grab
3: mm-hmm.
0: and saying, I had a story to tell. I've told that story and I'm done because we all know that far too many people don't get off stage when they should.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Or stay on stage for the wrong reasons, but it's, <laughs> it's hard. Cause it's, I mean, it's, <sighs> I mean, personally, it's just like, I just want to see Regina King all the time. Oh yes. And <laughs> who does and, it? And then you like, you know, you sprinkle in some Lewis Gossett Jr. and just like, okay, I'm gonna just live here now. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. I just assumed there was a sec a second season. I haven't mm-hmm. read anything about this. I I don't I don't know. So I am disappointed and curiously intrigued.
2: I I agree, I think. I applaud Lin Laughlin on one, on one hand for stepping off the stage. but On the other, I have issues with the network that refuse to move ahead without him. So that is more of the crux that they think they need him to be he's the only person that can possibly
0: tell the story. Yeah, I just don't necessarily assume that that's how things work. Deals are made. Relationships are built. Handshakes happen. Who the hell knows?
3: Sure. hmm.
0: Like, is it just as simple as HBO went, him or die? No, I don't necessarily. I don't,
3: necessarily. <laughs> I
1: don't I also know, like, another potential factor of this is that DC has absolutely tried to monetize uh, Watchmen tie-ins, prequels, sequels before, and very few of them have been critically well-received. And so I can also, I suspect a certain amount of DC going, oh no, people like this, let's just keep that in the amber for a while, um, because we actually have one good spin-off that people like. Uh, But, um that does kind of segue into a little bit of, of, I think we're talking about is yet yet again, the show starts with uh, being referenced as merely co-created by Dave Gibbons and Alan Moore has refused to be associated with it. Alan Moore has said horrible things about this show, but mostly because it's horrible things about absolutely anything. to So I don't know if the show is being specifically picked on.
0: Oh Um, no, I don't think so.
1: I think it's just, he's he's just, just
0: kind of a lunatic
1: right he's he's a he's a grumpy snake wizard, and that's just mm-hmm. life with Alan Moore
0: mm-hmm. yeah you gotta you gotta love it or just walk away because right. that's just what you're gonna get
1: but I, one of the things that I think from a comic book perspective I like about this show uh is that it's absolutely one thousand percent not a story that either Alan Moore or Dave Gibbons could tell um It is a a completely new voice while still being faithful to the original. Which is very different from the Zack Snyder film, which was so meticulously faithful that it almost again feels preserved in amber and, and stayed uh, to me. Um, so it's it's nice to say, okay, we could take these set pieces and do something completely different with them, but still feels connected. And that was what's so exciting about this. And what I, I thing is so exciting about these connected superior universes when they're hitting, is you can have new people come in, new perspectives, and still feel like it's an ongoing story. But it's always fresh and innovative. Doctor Who is probably the only other close example I can think of where it's like it's constantly changing and evolving, but it still feels like
2: it's all one big long story. So, okay. I
1: have, lots of, I have lots of nodding, so damn it. Well,
2: um, so, before we really got started today, though, Ariel and Eddie were talking about how much Eddie loves Ellen Moore and Ariel hates Ellen Moore. <laughs> and I was like, what about poor Dave? Give give that give that fellow some love, and they they were adamant on their stances about Alan Moore. I don't know why, because Alan Moore's written like two books that no one's ever really heard of, <laughs> other than like doing magic as a snake wizard. I'm, I'm, I'm telling damn you, damn you
0: to hell, Dave Gibbons! <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where else to go with that. I mean, try to back your play, Chris.
1: The the fact that that Alan Moore is in a wizard of war. With a Scottish comic book writer and has been for decades is just one example of how amazing this industry is. <laughs> so, um, right?
2: it, to yes. really, though, before we really get more into Watchmen, Errol, what other pieces of Alan Moore's work did you enjoy? Because joking aside, Ariel er- has admitted to at least having a passing fondness for Alan Moore. And in the past episode, we may have been a little disparaging to our local wizards. And it's Hang okay. On, I'm pull, I'm if you want to name. say that Watchmen is the only thing yeah. that really matters because I, I was trying to vamp for you as you were typing. <laughs> so um, our, our listener loved, would not know what was going on.
0: Um I loved cinema purgatorio. I didn't want to get the name of it wrong. Oh uh, right, okay. Uh really thought it was excellent. Um and then there's a there's a couple of his much older things that I actually read before I read Watchmen, um, that struck me. Not the erotica.
3: Oh
1: god. What
0: was the other no. big one that came out at the same time as the erotica?
1: Um think of a short gentleman? Swamp Thing? Do you mean Actually with you know what I hadn't thought about that, but I really Ron connery the,
0: the movie. No, we can't talk about that movie. That comic was fantastic (laughs) that movie just should never be mentioned ever um yeah no sadly i really would have to look at a list of his stuff because it's been so long since i have engaged with it because part of my love affair with him is just his just his personality um because he's like right he's a wizard he's an occultist he's an anarchist he's absolutely a trespasser and a transgressor and, and totally doesn't care except for all the ways that he cares. And he picks these stupid fights that don't make (laughs) sense to anybody except for the people who are inside and paying attention, except that it also doesn't make sense to him or the other person that he's picked this fight with. Um, And it's, it's, you know, just kind of that Except it's that like wild, crazy old white man thing that everybody just goes, oh, you're a wild, crazy old white man. Except that he's stepped too far past the line and and people are actually genuinely cringy about him.
1: But mm-hmm. he doesn't
0: care. And I appreciate how much that he doesn't care. Because he's just a little too much of a lunatic. And that's okay. And the stuff that he writes has made me laugh and think and fight with my friends and gain insight. And that in itself is, you know, that's a gift I'm going to treasure. So yeah, yeah I don't that's, know. that's my, magic. that's my having done no homework, Alan Moore pitch.
1: No, honestly, that, that is actually fair. Alan Moore as a character is fantastic. I mean, like, like I mentioned before, but like him and Grant Morrison doing, doing, Distracts tracks in each other's comic books about each other is just <laughs> hilariously fun um so uh that part i get um but, but i mean also you're right i mean it's it's right. there is some stuff that he's when you've written a lot of material there's gonna be some stuff that's not good um i i just sometimes feel that when people there are certain people who are are uncritically uh, fans of Alan Moore and say everything he writes is fantastic. And it's like, no, he's written oh, no. underage porn. Come on. I mean, it's, it's, some of it's bad, people. Uh, and that's why I, I end up sliding towards the opposite of like, you know, Alan Moore has done some crap. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I, with you, I like League of Story, gentlemen, I, I genuinely love um, because oh, I'm right. a huge fan Be of Victorian Vanetta. literature.
0: How embarrassing. Yeah, B for Vendetta. Yeah,
1: Be for Vendetta. Um, he genuinely oh, right, and
0: stuff. his run on Swamp Thing. Oh, my God. Sorry, Eddie. It's all catching up to me.
1: No, no, no. I I, I get you. Um, but like you know, oh, for, for all so of those, good. um, you also have him, uh, writing, you know, uh, six issues of uh, Tarot, which is about a, a New Orleans swamp witch stripper. You know, so I mean, it's it's not all it's not all gold, right? <laughs>
0: okay. Except I want you to just reel back, just just the tiniest bit. And I want you to think about those words that you just strung together, and. I've never heard of this, and I don't know that it exists, and maybe it's absolutely awful. But the fact that you can say those words <laughs> is awesome.
1: <laughs> okay, that's fair. Seriously,
3: Seriously. <laughs> but it was also
1: it was done in the '90s, so take every trope about '90s yeah, comics you know, and it was the 90s. that's right. <laughs> now that you say that, a <laughs> reboot of that. that would be fun, you know. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, we we okay, gave so Alan Moore a lot else? of stick last time So I felt that we should give Alan Moore a, a little a little nod from Just being the visionary That he was And as a creative though a I understand stories. part of Alan Moore's hatred Of other people's use of his material Because you make the best deal that you can At the time when you're making it And so when he yeah. made Watchmen He wasn't Alan Moore He was Alan Moore Hello right. would you Would you publish my comic so, and then in retrospect, once you've achieved a certain pinnacle, you don't want people to go back and potentially sully this thing that you made, or in some cases, like this TV show, elevate it. Um, but you still have that hatred for it because you don't control it as a person that made it. Right.
0: Yeah, somebody who loves Alan needs to sit down with him and have a conversation about the death of the author. That's all I'm going to say. Right.
2: Yeah. I completely agree. But we could... Continue on about Alan Moore and, of course, the the wonderful spe- spectacle that is the League of Externity Gentlemen with Sean Connery and Lafim Nikita as a vampire. But wow. instead, oh we will God. talk about the Watchmen, the TV series. Uh, any any final comments about this before we actually go into the TV series proper? From either of you?
1: Um. Well, do we need to
2: talk we about how awesome episodes... Regina King is? Sorry, what? <laughs> talk about how awesome Regina King is. I mean, yes, we could, we are. that'd be a yes. podcast in of itself.
1: Yeah. Uh, the more of the fact that, cause we're starting episode I'll six, which is one. unusual for us. Um, do we need to cover everything? Like everything that happens here. Or do we want to just like tell people, you know, watch the first five episodes you want to know and dive in. I mean, I don't know how much prefacing we need to do for this.
2: I thought about <laughs> that beforehand, but given the nature of our show, I think that we can assume they've watched it or know it for this specific occasion. Because otherwise, okay. we I'd want to give a very uh, truncated recap to have them then go and watch those other five episodes. Because like we've said, it's only got one season. So this is a magical show that builds on itself almost. And jumping in what we did is some of the high drama pieces of it, but there are other parts that are also engaging. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: Cool. I mean, I don't, you could maybe use some of the broadest brush strokes, but I I actually tend to believe that episode recaps aren't that useful because you've either seen it and you may not necessarily need it or you haven't seen it and there isn't enough context for you to be able to string it together and have any idea what in the world people are actually talking about. So, um, I mean, you know, it's a show about race.
1: Fair enough. All right. Then we will... Uh, I mean, the only thing I will say then is um, uh, I mentioned this a few times recently, uh, but this show was shot somewhat in Atlanta, in Atlanta and I lived in Atlanta at the time it was being shot. And so it was oh. deeply weird watching a scene of the other stuff. We skipped of um, when, when uh, there's the, the phone booths came down that you could talk to uh, Dr. Manhattan. And one of them was outside a bar that was ostensibly in Tulsa, but it was in fact the bar that I went to after work with my friends at work to drink at. So, Bit weird.
2: <laughs> we've we've got this running bit though, where we know that Eddie has been in all of these shows as some background character. Yes, he hasn't right. told us which where he, where he's at yet. I'm waiting for him to slip up. And I, can I
1: thought I saw that. you. Check <laughs> up my hair. You were
0: in right. that crowd scene. I knew. I knew it. I knew it was you. Yes, like <laughs> guy with the goatee.
1: I mean, I, I so I so stood out.
2: <laughs> Come on, Atlanta, fifty dollars a day. That's good money. <laughs>
0: That is so not true. Is it that much?
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Hell, these days, I just scan my face and use me as AI now. But anyway.
2: So as as you likely know, we have not prepped any of this. So I'm going to read the first synopsis, and we'll see how we work out from there. Unless, Errol, you'd like to do it off the cuff. We talked about off the cuff before we started, because everyone knows here that I am a concept professional, and Eddie just refuses to do these things.
0: And I will not be pegged down. Fair. So there you right. go. You get what you get.
2: This this is so gross,
1: right? Chaos.
0: Okay, right. go, Chris. Run, um, Chris, run.
2: There's so many jokes I could now make. And I can make Tom Hanks jokes from Forrest Gump just, to bosom buddies.
0: Just keep all right, all right. lobbing them right at you. Just one after the other.
2: This extraordinary being. Season one, the only season, because HBO sucks, episode six. Lori tries to get Angela to agree to treatment before nostalgia kicks in, but the latter starts experiencing her grandfather's memories. In 1938, Will joins New York Police Department, which is rife with racism after discovering a plot called Cyclops. His fellow white officers beat him and do a attempted lynching before they leave him at the tree. And he's cut down while walking home with a noose around his neck. He stops in a back alley where there are white people accosting this couple, at which he stops the attempted robbery. He's called a hero. The next day, supported by his wife June, he takes up the persona Hooded Justice. Will is invited to join the Minutemen by Captain Metropolis and begins an affair with him while June becomes pregnant. When Will finds that Cyclops's plan is a pl- ah, is a plan by the KKK to hypnotize. Black people to inciting riots amongst themselves and hurting themselves. Will asks for the Minutemen to help foil the plot, but Captain Metropolis refuses. Enraged, Will dismantles the operation on his own, killing all involved. June is shocked by Will, who is consumed with anger, which leaves him and takes their son home to Tulsa. In the near present, Will uses a modified form of the hypnotic technology to make Judd hang himself. Angela wakes up in True Interdose compound and finds that True has been treating her for nostalgia overdose. So this episode. This is my favorite episode of the entire series. And when Errol picked it, I was was giddy with joy (laughs) because I was trying not to suggest any episodes that we should review, but I was like, maybe she'll pick this one. I won't say anything. (laughs) And when it popped up as the first one, watched it twice one of the reasons why i I love this episode
1: is it uses the complete nonsense of a superhero universe to best effect right it's like sure there's a drug that lets you have other people's memories and it just that's all you need and then we're gonna do this whole episode because that is the that is the frame as to how we know these memories and how the main character knows these memories um there's no real strong explanation for it it's just a thing that exists and that's okay that's all you need but you don't need to go any further than that i love that
2: wait are, are you questioning the use of nostalgia in a universe with giant squids that rain from the sky like i'm literally? not questioning it i i, I think it's fantastic <laughs> I, um
1: and also like um uh the the way they present the superheroes in the 30s also felt very authentic. We talked about this last week, too, but um, on the, the, it felt like these, these could have been characters that actually existed in comic books in the, in the 30s and 40s. Um, obviously, not some of the, the subtext we're seeing in this this episode, but like Captain Metropolis very much feels like the kind of guy you probably would have had a character in, in the late 30s. Um, so all of this, I, I felt from a comic perspective, still was very authentic and respectful of the comic book roots because despite what some people say on the internet, comics have always been political, deal with it. And I think that they, they really good that they leaned into that to also tell this story. It, it, it doesn't feel bolted on. And I think under a lesser creative team, it could have felt bolted on.
2: Almost for me though, it's less of the comic history of it. It's more leaning heavily into the pulp uh, dime novels of the day because when it, mm, we keep yeah. saying superheroes, these are not superheroes. They other oh, than Dr. Manhattan. No. <clears throat> These are, are pulp heroes. And that's in the pulp heroes themselves would mask up. They would run around in the thirty in the late 30s to early 40s, some of them fighting Axis power, some of them fighting like gangs and crimes at home. And it is very much entrenched in that sort of world. And this has that exact same feel as reading one of those. Except for change, it actually highlights and specifically tells a story of a black pulp hero, like their origin Mm -hmm. story and what they're having to overcome. In addition to fighting the crime, having to fight their would be allies who want to simply use them as a platform for their own own deeds and not help them when time comes. It is such an exact parallel of allyship. It is painful to watch. So I watched it twice because (laughs) I've seen it. I've experienced it and it hurts, but it is good to be able to visually see it. Absolutely.
0: Okay, I have some things. Can I have it. some things? Yeah,
2: go for it. <laughs> just jump in. We step over each other all the time. Okay, so, so just a.
0: because th- this isn't in these three episodes, but I really, 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 I really got to give a minute and give a little shout out and a fist up to Henley- Henry Louis Gates Jr. getting his moment as a Secretary of State. I believe it's in episode one, maybe it's in episode two. It yes. Just, it, it just filled me with glee to no end, and I'm <laughs> so happy. And, you know you go my man okay <laughs> so at the end of all of this is a question for chris but the part that i love about this episode this is 6 this is 6 of 9 and this episode is the one that the mo- that i think most strongly ties back to what is going to be re- what is revealed as the most important theme in episode 1 that I think you understand is going to be the important theme, but also it might take a minute because there's a bunch of stuff happening in the first three episodes of the show. So we're talking about masks and heroes and identity and concepts of justice and righteousness and right and wrong. And what's important about this episode, and we're spoiling the crap out of everything, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All on the table. So so the important, like, moving target in this episode is the fact that Hooded Justice was a black man. Mm -hmm. No one knows this. The story tells you that this this is so. Mm -hmm. And that that reveal isn't just about, oh, hey, the superhero we all loved wasn't what we thought he was, but... He's he's like the er of super of 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 superheroes of masked vigilantes of what now actually in current times in modern day in the story are who the police are. Right, he's the seed that all of this grew from, and they but they all thought that that seed was the planting of a very specific thing that it was actually the opposite was, and that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That so this so this is shout out Louis Gossett Jr. Um, is the is the old version of of Will Reeves. This is the young version of Will Reeves, who is um, Angela Abar's Regina King's grandfather, and he was a cop in Harlem in the thirties, mm-hmm. and of course it was all racist and all corrupt. So he puts on a hood, fights the racism the only way that he knows how. Fist to fist, Mm -hmm. toe to toe, bullets flying, because that's the only way that he's going to get what he feels is justice. And I just love that then there's like a hundred years after him, not quite, but of people who are picking up the mantle, but are totally not picking up the mantle because they Mm -hmm. don't know, they think... They're gonna put on a costume and make a name for themselves, and maybe get a little fame and maybe get a little bit of money. And he's literally trying to combat the failures of institutional justice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? Because just yeah, where do you, it, what do you what do you what do you what do you gonna, what do you do from there?
1: And you're right. It, it's great that the show, right. I don't want to show. How do I say Barry's the lead? Because it's not what's happening here. It's more the fact that. The show very carefully watched his point. It says all of the white supremacy it's inherent to not only the police department, but also to superheroism as a concept, all stems from this misunderstanding. It is bold and fantastic. Wow. Completely agree. Yeah. I love that.
0: So
2: I want to point out that while he picked up the mantle and ran with it. He was an idealist that believed in a system that oppressed him and people like him and tried to work within that system. Like, that is an integral part. Of he did. That's why he joined the police force. Well, that's I mean, why he, he started out believing in. in it. But that's that's integral to the character and their evolution. To realize sure. that this oppressive system, regardless of what you do, even if you live up to, like, all the stupid benchmarks that's placed before you, that mm-hmm. it will not change like that. You have to operate yeah. outside of it to try to fix it. Like, yeah. that was. Because we're going to talk about trust in the law here. Essential. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think that is like essential to that break and development of the character. And then, built and that for me is a foundation of everything that you just said. Because if he'd started as vigilante to do that, it loses something for me.
3: Mm, interesting.
2: That is hard to explain, having been a police officer and having tried to work within the system. And for anyone that's curious, I'm not a police officer anymore. Hey, look at that. Um, <laughs> I it was know that a nice touch and nod point. and understanding of how people in some sense work in a pulp superhero show.
0: Right. So, the I want to make mention of, because you've both mentioned both the pulp and the era, during the Minutemen press conference, the sponsorship from the bank and the poster Mm -hmm. that gets held up. And if you miss that moment, go find it. And if you're not quite young enough to remember or you're not quite sure, look very closely at that poster. And that'll Mm -hmm. that was a lovely little gift that they planted in there. Mm -hmm. So I have heard through a podcast rumor mill. No. You have made clear your dislike of flashbacks, Chris.
2: No, in previous podcasts, I've made clear, I've made clear my dislike of an overuse of flashbacks. For instance, so if you're what did Arrow, you think about this? And half of your, and half of your, half of every season of your show is a flashback. <laughs> then you should be telling a fucking story of the past and telling it someone like that. This so was did you like?
0: this use? Did you buy nostalgia as the tool? Do you think nostalgia, the nostalgia was just a MacGuffin? Did you what I'm, I'm interested in here? Your-
2: I think nostalgia is a beautiful MacGuffin that was executed perfectly well because it plays on what humans are inclined to do. If you could take a pill for a memory that you loved and enjoyed a moment of your life, so many people would become addicted to it to go back to it. And, and the mm-hmm. fact that it was in someone outlawed, addition to that plays into how it built on itself, which is something I love because I like consequences for actions. And that had all of that. And then to have her overdose on it. So it's not that she gets to choose which memory she sees, but she has to see them and literally live through them. Was a nice, was beautiful. So that's why we get images of will. Then we get images of Angela as well. And they're so interspersed and there's act the exact same way to show how immersed she was in it. That was This is a a tour de force that should be mandatory watching for creatives, regardless of the medium that you work in.
0: Everybody. Yeah. I, and, and then they put all of that to good use. I appreciated the way that they mixed, you know, flashback montages for both Will Reeves, the adult cop and the gauntlet of racism that he was experiencing in the moments when he was afraid or dealing with his life in the balance. And the exact same parallels to that, to the fleeing child Will Reeves from the <laughs> Tulsa riots and him watching violence, fearing for his life, not knowing what to do, needing to run, needing to be brave. Um, I thought that was very nicely done. And God, somebody needs to get an award for the grocery store fight And Hooded Justice goes through the window, and it stops.
1: Yeah. Spectacular. And Hooded
0: Justice is then Angela, and right there in her face, FBI agent Lori Blake, the just uncomparable Gene Smart, is having the most out-of-sync, totally grounded and realistic conversation with her— that almost doesn't make any sense. And then here's her husband and she's still flying in midair and all she can do is blink because she's in a coma. And yeah, it was just, uh... and it almost kind of makes you angry because it's something there, there was something about it that was so simple and mediocre television is full of so many overworked, complicated attempts to do things that aren't that good, that utterly fail. And I just, maybe that's the line between genius and madness. I don't know, but I, I I... liked, I I liked what they did with nostalgia. I absolutely agree with you. And um, yeah, it just, it it created some of the best moments in the show.
1: And and honestly, that's, that's another, a good thing for another reason, um, which shows us the team firing all cylinders, frankly, is also when um the agent comes in and starts talking, you notice that the whole scene has been black and white, but then the color starts to slowly leach into the screen as she gets closer what? and closer to quote unquote reality and it's a it, it's it's a perfect balance of of the um spectacle of being a vigilante hanging in midair with shards of glass hanging around you and the subtle of the colors slowly coming in, the spectacle and the, and the subtle are both playing off each other and telling an amazing third story that's a synthesis of both those two, which is, I think, when superhero stories are fantastic, when they can blend the subtle and the spectacle for good effect.
2: And we've said some amazing things. I want to take a step back and drag a show, American Gods, which... I watched the first season of American Gods. And mm-hmm. the first episode of American Gods ends. If you haven't seen American Gods season one, episode one by now, well, you're about to get spoiled, at least a little bit. Um, it ends with this imaginary, uh, imagined forces lin- attempting to lynch Shadow. Shadow's mm-hmm. the protagonist, of American Gods. And in the television show, Shadow's a black man. So they pull him up to lynch him. And through course of action, yada, 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 stuff doesn't happen. But. It has no relevance in that show other than to play on the imagery and power of what a lynching is, is a full extent mm-hmm. of what American God does with it. And that turned me off on that show. And it is insulting. Yeah. And I I love Neil Gaiman. Hands down. Anyone that knows your love of Alan Moore is my love of Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. But that was a horrible, atrocious use. And I hate that show for it. This is use of lynching. Powerful imagery fit the story how it was executed, and then it still has relevance throughout the course of the show. Like that is exceptional writing and plotting that needs to be like lauded and constantly redone. Mm-hmm. Mm. And taking the fact that, in I think, in the original comic, Hood and Ju- Hooded Justice in the comic is alluded to being this white German dude, and taking that that idea because no one knows for certain, and then making it into a black person fighting for justice under the cloak of being a white person fighting for these things is so resonant and well done. And it touches back even on Marvel, who had the blue Marvel comics as the blue Marvel, who they retconned in is a character that is on par with Superman, who is a black man in the 60s, fighting all these supervillains until he gets discovered he's a black man. And then the government asks him to stand out. Mm-hmm. And we jump to present day for Marvel. And he decides that that was the biggest mistake he made. And he goes back out and fighting. Like those stories are amazing. And the fact that we have Will here, and I've talked about in the past, how these shows constantly try to underpower and devalue marginalized characters and not make them exceptional. This does the exact opposite. It does what I've wanted every fucking superhero show to do, that these are exceptional people fighting against extraordinary circumstances, regardless of what it means to them their families, and the additional level of persecution they would have to suffer if discovered.
0: I'm curious if either of you particularly paid attention to and, or and or what your take or thought is on the fact that um, the lynching was filmed from Will, the lynchie's perspective.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Which I'm not sure that I've seen done before
1: i i, I did notice that um it was a bit jarring the first time I watched it because the rest of nostalgia is told from kind of a third- person perspective um we're seeing will uh but I think I think it's for me it was two different things one is uh you need to get across to an audience how horrible this is and, and how uh impactful this is but from a superhero structure standpoint, I think it's equally important because this is ultimately just an her- origin story, and we often see the origin stories of superheroes from that perspective. Like you know, um, Martha uh, Mar- Martha Wayne's pearls falling on the you know sidewalk, we see that image a thousand times. You know, um, uh, Gwen Stacy dying in Superman's arms. You know, we often see these things from the hero's perspective, and so it makes. Superhero narrative sense that we, that happens because that is who Justice origin story, but I think it was also importance to show that because it's i the the out, the outside image of a lynching doesn't look as scary as it is right you know it's just a guy hanging from a rope it doesn't seem like it's it's much so I think it's good to kind of really reinforce this is a horrible experience and sometimes the visual imagery of it. It's like waterboarding. You can watch waterboarding. It doesn't look as horrifying as it is. It's just like, I'm getting water poured on them. I don't understand why that's scary. So sometimes you need to kind of reframe that to really get that across. Did not expect to be having this conversation today, let me tell you.
0: You're welcome. We,
1: we've, no, we've it's great. Very, I was like, it's 9 a.m. am talking about waterboarding. It's cool.
2: <laughs> we've lived very different lives, my friend. Um, <laughs> I think it was powerful and it was necessary for people that don't have the context or understanding of the horror that associated with it.
0: And the thing I got from it the second time that I watched it, that I didn't get from it the first time is that I think that that moment is the first moment that we get to actually really internalize the fact that this is how Angela is experiencing all of it.
1: That's also true. Good point. Mm-hmm. Very good. Love it. Even though
0: it's not the first time they put her in his place in his clothes. Her face on his position, but there's something about the breathing continues, the noose, and again, fucking Regina King, like she is terrified, and this is Sister Knight. I wasn't sure she did terrify,
3: mm-hmm.
0: but um, so yeah, I thought I thought it was very powerful and very appropriate. And I, but I also feel like, um, could be a risky call on the creative end. Uh, and I, I mean, I think they made the right call. I I thought it was, I thought it was great and it just stood out so powerfully to me.
2: But I, I also think the show is one that came out taking big swings and
0: sure. I think so too.
2: They, they paid off for it in awards and for the accolades that it got. Hands down. Um, do we want to talk about uh, Hooded Justice and Captain Metropolis and their, their relationship? I'm Honestly, I'm conflicted. Um, because
1: on the one hand, uh, like you said, a lot of taking swings. It's like, let's, on top of all this, let's also show um, a, a the, the complexities of homosexuality in the early 30s. I think, in fact, that, that's great that they, they also got swing. Um, it doesn't seem to... Go anywhere. I mean, obviously, the uh, uh, builds relationship with Captain Metropolis and then betrays him. That uh, um, that part was important. The the sexual component didn't seem to add as much to it for me. Um, uh, so I'm not mad about it, but it just it's only it, it like maybe one too many things in an otherwise extremely strong episode. Uh, I felt like you cut that out and you wouldn't lose as much. But at the same time, I do want to make sure that there are more representations of queer relationships and also much like from a racial perspective, from a queer perspective, the fact that these things had to be hidden and were seen as, as, as horrible and need to be tamped down and, and were villainized, I think is also important. So I, I'm honestly conflicted about it.
0: I thought they did a spectacular job of showing a conflicted, complicated relationship Um, It's a homosexual relationship in the 30s. So it is a dangerous otherness Mm -hmm. that has to be protected. But yet nestled inside the relationship was also a sense of otherness as Captain What's-His-Name definitely had this exotic otherness eye for hooded justice that was mm. mildly mm-hmm. uncomfortable and a little bit of gross. Um, yeah. there wasn't, I don't think a ton of actual affection or respect in the relationship. Um, oh, no. and I, I think everyone was getting a thing that they needed out of the, arrangement until Hood of Justice didn't get the thing that he needed and understood it more for what it was than he had, you know, whatever, 60 seconds before that moment. Um, <laughs> so that was, and you know, I mean, and it was also like they had to, right. Like, like to, to, to stay true, to give a nod, to respect where it came from. If, Cause if you don't, then everyone says that you buried it, that you hid yep. it. Um, mm. and you know, and you've, and you've pissed off Alan Moore another notch. So. I, because in its, like in itself, in terms of, as part of the beats of, as one of the beats of the narrative, it only mattered like that much. So it was important, but it was important in a really narrow framing context and they made it really important in the context that they needed to make it in. And then they moved on. And I guess, because when you said, oh, do we want to talk about this? My response was, it's kind of one of the least interesting things in the whole episode. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like you were saying, though, it goes back to one of the premise of the, of the actual text itself is that something inside of people is, is sexualized and they suit up to go out and fight crime and everything else. And it builds that sexual energy that then happens that's then released. It's the same thing for the watching movie where we have Dan and Lori go out and they have fight and then they have their big sex scene in the movie and it's there. It is a part that happens and we've all seen it and acknowledged it. And I think it's great that it happened here. And it showed that it can be any sort of relationship and like that was important. Yeah. And at the same time, it played with the weird dynamic that those two actually have because he doesn't respect Hooded Justice, but he admires him for being the first person to suit up and think of how he can use him. And Hooded Justice is thinking of that. I need these people to help me on my own mission. And that idealism that we saw from the police force comes in here thinking that these people are now like heroes in arms that are going to be there to fight the good fight with them, And it's reinforcing how allyship, unfortunately, sometimes works. When yeah. shit gets real. These are my allies. No so we must found.
0: want the same thing.
2: Yep. Right. Yeah. And when shit gets real, but those I, allies the, are gone.
0: But really... The best part about how that plays out is two episodes later when Hooded Justice is living in his his mansion and he's long (laughs) dead. Yeah. So, you know, something happened over 50 years.
3: Right. Mm -hmm.
0: Do I need that story played out for me? No. I'm glad the subtext is there.
3: Right. I
1: think it goes back to that. The show picks its moments. Very well, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, we don't need to see that part because that's just gilding the lily. Um, it's just a love story, right? Or not. Um, and it invites, which, which is go back to the point of like a season two would have been cool, like let's, you know, maybe season two could have gone into more about what happened there or whatnot. It's an interesting moment. Um, but you're right, in the context of this episode um it is a very narrow focus and so that's a good way of explaining what i was kind of struggling with is that it's, it's important to show it but it's not important to belabor it maybe is what i was trying to say so that's in that respect yeah it makes sense it's good to kind
2: of just do it and get out <laughs> as as we're running along this episode i do want to move to the end of it where we get okay. the 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 technology that is inciting riots and everything else that if you're vaguely familiar with our our marvel piece you'll remember in agent carter There was a similar technology that did a Mm -hmm. similar thing. Mm -hmm. Oh,
0: that's right.
2: Yeah. I
0: forgot about that. I mean, it feels like just a strong, like, 70s classic. The mind control mesmerism. Oh,
2: yeah. Totally. Totally. it's also brilliant. Like, not just in comics. It's also brilliant for the time era, though. If you're looking at, like, late 30s, early 40s, when movies and films are – definitely getting a larger impact because more movie theaters being built and there's less to do. So you're going to take the whole family to go see a movie and spend your money. You've got like masses of people there. And so that's brilliant use of time period and the, the weird tech technology.
3: <laughs>
1: and again, I, I, I think they did a really good job of taking what is on the surface a pretty silly plot, and making it very grounded and terrifying, which is what the stories of the time would have absolutely done. Right? This just felt right. like a plot from the shadow, you know. Um, and and this is so, what comic it's, books are good for exactly, exactly. It's the comic books are great when they take these ludicrous concepts and play them extremely seriously.
0: Well, and we can't it was leave a this nice... episode. No, go ahead, Chris.
2: I was just gonna. No, no, you go ahead. I was gonna make a. I random another point about the, the killing spree and Will and how I love the fact that with the revolver, we have six shots. And if you're counting the shots, he's going through killing people. You see that he shoots like five people. One of them, he has to double tap and he goes yep. in to find the person that's doing it. All of it. And he tries to shoot him and the gun clicks. That is attention to detail. And I loved it. Like mm-hmm. it's the small things that make this show work so well. But you're going to make then, a more pertinent comment than my gun analogy.
0: Nope, I'm mm. just I'm going to layer right on there, and on top of all of that, what do they float across the soundtrack? Smoke gets in your eyes. The platter's crooning
3: oh, yes. <laughs> as he's yes. as
0: he's taking people out and setting everything on fire. It's so good, oh. so good, so good. Yes. And the, and and it's and it's one of many times that the show does that, that that the soundtrack choice is just like, oh, I didn't know there was going to be a perfect song for this scene. Apparently there is.
1: Yes, yes. Um, we talked about very different stylistic choices, but equally resonant is an Umbrella Academy. You know, it's like mm-hmm. where. Um, uh, they had this amazing fight scene with a time-traveling teenager and they used Instant not Constantinople because it's a song about how time messes with your memory. And I'm like, yeah. I never would have thought there might be giants would be for a combat scene, but this is the best fucking choice. It was there. It was
0: fantastic. <laughs> I both noticed it at the time and listened to your episode. Oh, excellent.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, and Yay. an update for You're all people. I am, I I am now in season two of the Umbrella Academy.
3: Woo-hoo. Excellent.
2: Um, Do you want to talk at all about about the
1: uh, modern-day stuff in this episode?
0: Oh, what's the modern-day stuff in the episode? Um,
1: uh, Will using the technology stuff to make Judd hang himself? Or uh, Angela waking up in Tro's compound, which honestly is more next episode, honestly.
0: Well, there's definitely something about – okay, so again, the whole point of the – not the whole point, but obviously one of the dominant themes in the show is about masks, is about vigilantism, is about. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to say this out loud so that people don't have to read between the lines. The cops wear masks because the racists have deemed them all race traitors. And there was an event where they went to the home of, every cop in the Tulsa police department killed everybody. They killed everybody, Mm -hmm. but two, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: right. This happens several years before, but you get this in the first few episodes. So as a defense to that, cops now get to be anonymous and hide their identity and they And they are wearing masks. And in earlier episodes, there are multiple moments where you're not sure the cops are going to be the good guys in exactly the way that modern day cops are not necessarily the good guys. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting in this universe because cops are just juxtapositioned as righteous.
1: Yep.
0: as correct. And definitely one of the like philosophical points of tension that they're playing with here is, if we put on mask masks, does it inherently change this? Does it change who we are, what our intentions are, what are we doing? Is there something about having to show your face and own what you do? And this is like, this is definitely Jean Smart's character, Laurie Blake. This is definitely part of the position that she's taking.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: And so there's, it's like, there's all this between the flashbacks between the riots and the lynchings and the modern day racism and this seventh Calvary, these white racist Supremes that are going to destroy everything and change the world and the police chasing them down. And there's all this back and forth that is this constant juggling of what is justice? Mm-hmm. Who gets to own that? Who gets to decide? So it was really, really interesting to me that not chronologically in episode order, but chronologically in time, one of the things that we start with is the almost hanging of Will Reeves mm-hmm. and then the absolute hanging of Judd by Will Reeves.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: 60 years later. Yeah. Is that justice? Justice.
1: And I like the fact that they leave that open, right? Like we 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 don't have we don't really get to see much of Reeves' response to that. You know, it's just kind of a quiet moment and then it ends. Um, but I think it's good. It's the we don't know what, what his, his feeling is. But you're right, by putting chronologically on this episode, we see the the arc more clearly as an audience, and that, that's a really cool way of doing that. Um, this this show we haven't talked about it yet, but the show plays with time in a fantastic way because it follows character arcs, not linear time. And that feels better, Um, but honestly, we'll get into more of that, I think, in episode uh, eight, because that's a better example of of how nonlinear time really helps to show uh, uh, emotional arcs rather than linear time. Uh, Cool. Otherwise, I guess we can move on to episode seven. Yes? Yeah. yeah. I'll take this one. Angela continues to be treated for the nostalgia as her memories of losing her parents and her grandmother June in Vietnam mingle with Will's. She also learns that the Manhattan phone booth supposedly connected to Mars route to True's facilities before True herself tells Manhattan is actually on Earth in Tulsa, disguised as a human. After learning of the Cavalry's plan to capture and destroy Manhattan to become like him, True plans to activate the millennium clock within, with the hour within the hour to save the world. Angela breaks free, rushes home, and tells Cal she loves him as a husband, calling him by the name John, before she bashes his head in and pulls out a small disc shaped like Manhattan's symbol, causing his body to glow blue. Lori goes to speak to Jane Crawford about her husband's death, but falls into a trap door and is taken to the cavalry's headquarters, where Joe reveals their plan to capture Manhattan to restore white supremacy. Lori's partner, Petey, tries to track down Wade, finding his fallout shelter filled with the cavalrymen, but no sign of him. Meanwhile, Light is put in a year-long trial by the game warden, where he, <laughs> he treats as a farce. Uh, do you want to talk about okay, the... So this, oh, go ahead.
0: I was just going to say, this episode opens with trust in the law. And so I want mm-hmm. to talk about trust in the law. Sure, go for it. <laughs> so this is the movie... Young Will Reeves' mother played piano in the silent movie theater. And so he watched the movie Mm -hmm. with her, and this would be how he would be babysat, and he would watch the movies. And apparently, in 1930-something, one of the big hits of a film was called Trust in the Law, starring, um, what does the kid say? The Black Marshal of Oklahoma something... Reeves? What's
2: his name? Bass Reeves.
0: Bass Reeves.
2: The greatest so lawman to ever exist in the world. The, exactly. the Lone Ranger is based off of The person that my daughter made a drawing of and I put in a book I published, Bass Reeves, that guy?
0: That guy. <laughs> so, he's a black marshal. He runs down and lassos and pulls off his horse, the scoundrel, and drags him in front of the town church. Everybody files out of the church and rushes out to see what the ruckus is. They realize that their sheriff has been lassoed and is dragged on the ground, a white man. Ho, what have you done to our sheriff? The lawman says he's a scoundrel. He's a cattle thief. Who are you? He reveals his black face and his badge. A child excitedly announces to everyone who he is. The white people cheer him and demand mob justice for the scoundrel of a cattle thief, white sheriff and Bass Reeves says, no, there will be no mob justice. You must trust in the law. So this is what I need. Who the fuck made this movie? <laughs>
2: you, you say that. This but... shit's
0: not real. <laughs> right.
2: Bass Reeves. i not crazy. Uh, Bass Reeves is the epitome of someone that believes in the law for his entire oh, career oh, I know that. bass reeves arrested his own son and put him in jail and said the law sort itself out
0: <laughs> understood none of that is my problem my problem is the white townsfolk who didn't string him up this is my problem <laughs> I, I will I say guess that- just because like i'm not a detail stickler person i don't need you to get all the things right i don't need you to count the shots right to suspend my disbelief and come along with you on the ride but this is definitely the moment that made me go i would say if it wasn't
2: for bass reeves i would be in agreement with you but bass reeves had enough of reputation that is a 50 50 shot it would have worked out like that 50 50
0: okay that is exactly what i wanted to hear and is the reason why i asked the question that's fantastic.
1: Also, for me, um, because it's happening at this moment where her memories are breaking down. I also kind of chalked it up to Will maybe blurring the a movie he saw and some books he read in his head to to, to, to get that reaction right. Like, so like maybe maybe the movie didn't actually play out that way in this fictional reality, but rather he, he his brain reconstructed that way to to you know because kids do that, right? They sometimes end up remembering things a certain way and it turned out it well, was never that way. You know, that's just how human memories are really. Um, so I chalked it up to it, it, indication that the memories are starting to, to degrade a little bit at this point.
2: So I thought so, and I double checked it because, uh, it was directed and produced by Oscar, uh, Millex, I always mispronounce his last name, who was an incredible black, like writer, oh, filmmaker okay. who revolutionized black cinema. So Oscar all that goes- yes. Yeah. Goes back to him. That's so the funny. law was by him because I've seen, a, like, a dozen of his movies. I've talked yep. about him in Haunted West. I think I talked about him in Harlem Bound. Okay. Yep. Yep. People do not give this person enough credit. Wow. Like, all right. If you want to know who he is. As I'm watching it, H- mm-hmm.
0: in my head, I'm thinking Oscar Micheaux is the only person who makes this movie. This can't be real.
2: <laughs> uh, I thought so, but I wanted to double check it before I said it for you. And no, no, not
0: because i do you, just because time wise it was the only thing that made sense
2: right and if Thank you, you don't that, know who if you don't know who he is go to your max where you watched this on right now and they have a biography about him mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Pock, he's amazing
1: fantastic yep. okay then i take it back yeah that, that, that's, that's so great
2: very much how it is that's awesome okay i'm so excited he even, he even made like counter movies against like the KKK movies he has a long yep. career oh. but
1: then honestly now that you say that then this show has added another layer on all of this which is it's also saying hey this is why representation matters in media because it absolutely inspires kids to do these kinds of things I mean maybe not the taking on a mantle of hooded justice and you know uh, murdering people but you know the point is like when you see yourself in cinema you are inspired to be better. Um, so, I mean, that's just fantastic. It's really, really cool.
2: I, sorry. I thought so, but I wanted to be certain for, for you. And I'm so and glad you checked. To I'm so happy now. Um, I mean, Anything else about Reeves? I
0: thought it, but I didn't believe it was real. I didn't think it yeah. could be real. <laughs> that's awesome.
2: Anything else about Bass Reeves, a.k.a. The Lone Ranger? <laughs> yes. I knew that part. I didn't realize it was a real film, though. That's fantastic.
0: Yay.
1: Um. So, I'm, I'm bouncing around a little bit, but...
2: Um, do we want to talk about <laughs> Lady True? Talk about why Since we're, we're here now, Lady True, do we yeah. want to talk about... Yeah, I mean, I... Only gotten here.
1: Uh, well, for, for a moment, I want to quickly sidestep. Um, the sheer comic book brilliant spectacle of the treatments for... Uh, Nostalgia being literally getting blood from an elephant. Making it's like it makes no sense. It it just is random, like, and there's an elephant here, because of course an elephant never forgets. And then we just move on. They don't even say that part, right? (laughs)
0: Cerebrospinal fluid from a natural host, Eddie. (laughs) She's the one who constantly assumed that it was her grandfather. And true just encouraged that assumption. And then, but I love it. It's it's
1: so it's so perfect because it's like again, it makes no logical sense. It makes thematic sense. Of course, it's an elephant. Who else could it possibly be? Yeah. But and then and then the show just goes. She walks in. She sees the elephant. And then we just get through that scene, and it just it it just never really talked about ever again. And I just I I I love it because like. It's just there. It's just this moment of pure surreal lunacy in the middle of the story that I just really reinforces no, no, no. We're in a world where stuff just makes superhero sense, but does not always make real world sense.
0: Okay. But we've already watched True buy a piece of property with a child from the owners that she'd cloned ahead of time. Or produced or whatever to get what she wanted. And so now, really, all you're asking me to accept is that like a whole elephant is part of the process? Sure. <laughs> of course it is. Why not? Right?
2: Wait, wait, wait. Right. Do you know the family that she bought the child from that fell from space? Do you remember the name of the family? No. What's up, man? Mm-hmm. Uh, if memory serves, they're the Kints. So she went to her farm, <laughs> bought an alien child. From the (laughs) kids, I missed that. That's fantastic. Um, Layers upon layers.
3: Oh. And
0: that's the, and that's like the third Superman reference in the series. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because everything about Will Reeves survival story out of the Tulsa massacre is absolutely the Superman story.
1: Oh yeah. 100%. 100%. Oh, and again, because well, it's DC property, they could do that, right? Oh, it's just brilliant. Nice to see
0: somebody doing something good with it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, but like otherwise, we're like... Gonna get. Uh, uh, I also I also like the whole kind of true conversation, especially right after rewatching watching uh, the movie, is because... The, we get kind of the other subplot of the show, which is that... Um, Veidt's bullshit is going to resonate forever, right? Veidt's never going to get over his bullshit, and his bullshit has now transcended him into other people who are now following in the exact same line of bullshit. It's the, oh yeah, no, other people are just going to keep trying to solve the world and not make the same mistakes, make differently spectacular mistakes.
2: Well, the same thing Uh, can be said for Rorschach. It's about legacy. Like, the 7th Calvary came out of Rorschach, and we've got passing on of all of those different equivalent mantles to different people. Like White's mantle is passed on. Uh, Dr. Manhattan's mantle, if you haven't seen the show, may or may not be passed on. We've (laughs) got Cyclops that evolved too. Like all of
1: these are constant things that are happening. Right. So that's a good point. And it reminds me, one thing I forgot to to mention when we skipped over the the recap was that um, I'm also super glad that the show took a very early stance. Said, no, no, no. Rorschach is not a hero. Let's get that out of your heads because I have been... Having that fight with comic fanboys for decades now. And it's like, no, he's not a hero. He's an objectivist.
2: It's a very different thing. <laughs> so, we also had a, a slight discussion last week for us about Ayn Rand and, uh, objectivism. Yes. Mm-hmm. and then Steve Dicko so, falling way down that rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. If you would like to add in your take on Ayn Rand, you're welcome. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll take an Ayn Rand corner if you want. Ayn Rand? You don't have to. I'm just, mm. I, exactly. th-
0: I, I don't know that go. I have anything particularly I... interesting to say about Anne and, <laughs> frankly, um, I'm the. I also, oddly, by the time I was done watching the series, finishing the nine episodes, I realized that I didn't care that much about the Adrian White storyline. Right, yep. and with the exception of the fact that, like, there's a there's there's a lot of there's some really nice heavy lifting that happens basically with the clones over the course of that arc where he's, like, really bringing the Baudrillard and, like, challenging <laughs> what is real and what it what isn't and, like, you know, like, pushing the simulacra, like, right in your face. Yeah, I don't really care that much. That's and I'm not sure why I don't really care that much, but I don't. Well, I mean, I I didn't dislike the moments, and I liked. I did enjoy following the mystery of who the hell are these people? Why is he just killing them? Why is he the master? What's with the cake? Right. (laughs) And he shooting people into space. Why is he doing that? And how is he doing that? Uh, You know, like I like I, I like when the story is incomplete. And I either mm-hmm. have to fill in the blanks or don't. And I like when there's mystery left. And so that was like those were like nice little like upbeats moments of oh, look at that. But mm.
2: you've never shot people in the space before? That's like a Sunday <laughs> afternoon in the spivey household.
0: There are things we don't talk about when we're being recorded. Come
2: on. <laughs> if they come into my house, we'll just shoot them in space. I'll be fine. <laughs>
1: um but no, I about to uh, I, I was feeling the same way is that I, I understand why it's here. Cause honestly it's, it's a level of what the fuckery that a superhero show kind of needs. And so, but it's also to me, the one piece of the show that really, really hinges on you having actually read the graphic novel to understand why it's happening. Um, because it definitely presents itself as you should hate this guy because he's Osmanius. And it kind of just leaves it there for a long time. It's, I mean, near the end, we get we get to episode eight. It does go back and say, oh, by the way, there's actually some reasons why this is and blah, 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 blah. Um, but at the start, it's kind of just the, you're watching a show about Watchmen. We have to have at least one character from the comic book that on screen so people feel that connection. So we're going to pick a uh, uh, light and, and follow his arc into whatever the hell's going on here. Um, but it's we've not got at all. Don't get me wrong.
2: Huh? We've got Laurie from the comic books. <laughs>
1: Well, okay, yes, but I mean, let's be blunt here. Um, we need to have a white guy on the screen for people to follow it. <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: I mean, okay, let let's let's. Yeah. You know, I'm the first to line up and throw stones at the white guys, but it was Jeremy <laughs> Irons. No, yeah,
2: sure, it was done really well.
0: <laughs> but and also, I actually who, who disagree cares if you, Eddie.
2: Alfred is up in space?
0: <laughs> I actually disagree with you, Eddie. I don't think you had to read the, I don't think you'd read the comic at all to figure out what your relationship with him was supposed to be. And definitely I was like in, in the first couple episodes, I wasn't entirely sure how they were trying to place him. Okay. And I've, I've read the comic and seen the movie.
2: Sure. Sure. Like I feel Uh, having read the comic that spoils that character. I would have rather have actually not have read the comic and being able to watch the sure. show without that knowledge.
0: Yeah, because hmm. yeah, because you know he's an asshole. Hmm. Okay, and maybe, then he's dangerous.
3: Maybe I wrong but,
0: then. but but but, the, but I, I feel like the movie is just kind of like, eh, we're just gonna leave these little breadcrumbs here and and be, because if you absolutely absolutely take it at first value from the beginning, he's just a rich guy who's shitty to his servants. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay no that's f- actually uh, that's actually fair it, because they're using a lot of the uh uh edwardian trappings to kind of really shortcut that relationship okay no you know what now, now that we it I gotta through, tell you
0: it was point, almost yeah. the end of the episode before i realized he was Osmandius. okay all right i was like oh god i'm an idiot of course
1: i it may have been what i brought to that table when i first saw it then um in that regards
0: uh yeah he was just an asshole not necessarily a villain that's
3: all i'm saying okay all right
0: i'm cool but then uh, once i realized
3: we,
1: we
0: i appreciated his performance and his rest- reckless disregard for the life of his clones it was all appropriate no, and
1: I, kind of funny. no I yeah no i mean i, I, I want to go back but you're absolutely right jeremy irons did a fantastic job of playing i am done with your bullshit Bite. Like, <laughs> it was just so good <laughs>
2: Vietnam. Yes. How did you like Angela's origin story? Seeing her parents, seeing that and acknowledging that. Um, I think in the first episode, they said that Vietnam was part of the United States now. And we have yes, Robert Redford state. as president. And so it was. Love that. I think that was very well done. And having been on military bases before. And never having an incident like that happen where I was, that was like another really powerful moment for me to see like the explosion that like killed the military, killed her dad, who was in the military and like the mom and all and everything else.
0: Well, the thing that it did for me was it. So you, what am I saying? Yeah. <laughs> Black women, we get a bad rap because we have so much attitude and we're so angry. Mm-hmm. And what we all know is that most of that anger is covering for our sadness and our fear and our sorrow. Um, you know, perfect example is I have a little brother who's 13 years younger than me. I look like my mom. He looks like our dad. And I'm afraid for his very existence every fucking day
3: Mm -hmm.
0: because we live in this country. He used to live in St. Louis, which is so crazy over the top racist. It's not even funny. And I was terrified for him. And he was like, Oh, we're leaving St. Louis. I'm like, Oh, thank goodness. And we're moving to Texas. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, Regina King, Angela Abar, is Sister Night when she's a cop. Mm -hmm. And she is badass and a ball of fury and not to be trifled with. And it's obvious that this is about motherfuckers have tried to kill her. Motherfuckers killed all her friends. The world is racist and awful. This is an appropriate response to all of this. And then you see this episode and what you suspect, or at least what I suspected is affirmed that this isn't just about fury and anger and racism. This is also about deeply seated, deep down in the well of her soul, sadness because she kind of never got anything. Her parents blow up in front of her when she's mm-hmm. what, probably 10? Grandma, yeah. like a fairy tale dream. The grandma she doesn't know she has comes to wrap her up in her arms and take her away from the awful orphanage. And she has a heart attack before they can even pull out of the driveway. It's mm-hmm. just. Sorrowful hit after sorrowful hit after sorrowful hit and she meets the great love of her life and she knows going in, she gets 10 years and that's it. Mm -hmm. And so it was, they just did such a nice, artful, just like flaying her open and laying her out in front of us and going, here's the sadness that's buried under all this black woman rage. There you go. And I was, it made me cry. I was very happy to see it. I was very happy that they didn't shy away from it. And I was really, really happy that Regina King owned it and channeled it and used it for all the good that she could, but also didn't deny that there's baggage there and it's not awesome. And then mm-hmm. she finds out she finds out her best friend's a Klansman and he's totally betrayed her.
3: <laughs>
0: so that was it was there was a that was a, a there was a lot in that episode for me. And in fact, the first time I watched it, I couldn't even write anything down because I just couldn't I couldn't pull myself out of it enough. hmm So it kudos is, to them
1: and uh, to her. Uh there's even uh, uh, another very small thing I noticed uh, it's even Bit is um, there is a psychological phenomenon that's known called item fixation, where uh, when a child goes through traumatic experience, they sometimes fixate on an item, usually a toy or something that's important to them, and they put their grief into that item. Uh, And so a lot of times when uh, kids are traumatized, if you take that specific item away from them, they will then become very distraught. Um, and so by having the videotape, I mean, obviously the videotape is there to, to connect for her mask identity, but also how she related to that videotape was very accurate to how item fixation works in children. Yeah. So again, it's a small thing. But it was like a really, really fantastic detail work of like, yeah, this is how kids deal with trauma is they obsess on objects. Uh, so it was very, I thought that was a very cool moment too. It's like, yeah, this, this felt very extremely authentic in a lot of ways.
2: There's still a lot more that happened in this episode. Is there any? But is there anything else we want to touch on
0: in this episode specifically? Well, again, the music, the 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 the, the lunch and the diner between Grandma and Angela, and they're playing every time you go away by Paul Young. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I want to talk about the Manhattan Booths.
2: I thought so. So, how about we go ahead and we read the synopsis for? episode eight then we can get into everything else that we're, we're already alluding to and we're touching to and like we're all sort of moving towards yeah that's cool okay uh, I guess I'll read this one we''ll, you we'll this. see oh, no, how you it works what,
0: I'll out do it let me let me let me carry some weight here I'll do it
2: i yeah. I am more awake now than I was uh what <laughs> an hour ago
0: okay season one episode eight A god walks into a bar in Vietnam, 2009, Dr. Manhattan approaches Angela and convinces her that he is not an imposter by creating an egg out of thin air. He attempts to convince Angela to have dinner with him the next night as they will fall in love later. Angela is highly skeptical, but Manhattan, after explaining his non-linear experience with time, explains that he had been creating life on Europa since 1985 and that in 2019 he will fall in love with her just as he is about to be taken by the 7th Calvary. He explains how he took up the identity of Cal to blend in and used a device created by Veidt to give himself amnesia about his true identity until it was necessary for Angela to remove it. At Veidt's request, Manhattan transported him to Europa and also visited Will to encourage him to help Angela in 2019. Angela, speaking to Manhattan in 2019, asks him to ask Will in 2009 how he knew of Judd's secrets but realizes she gave that idea to Will just now. As the Calvary prepare to attack, Angela goes to protect Manhattan, who sees this as the moment he fell in love with her, and helps her fend them off. Knowing one last Calvary member remained alive to use attacking gun cannon to capture him. In 2009, Angela accepts Manhattan's dinner proposal, and in a post-credit scene, the game warden gives a captive Vite another anniversary cake, Vite finds a horseshoe baked inside, and gleefully starts digging an escape tunnel.
2: Um, Before uh, we get into this, I want to go ahead and start this this episode off with one of my biggest issues with this entire series. Hands down. John, Dr. Manhattan, white dude, blue dude, black dude like bothers me on an intrinsic level that I cannot express enough. and there's a multitude of reasons why I'm not 100 percent sure of all of them, but it is it is wrong and the show makes a flippant comment about it in there how that sort of appropriation yeah. isn't so sort of, you know, I feel that needed to have more depth and explanation put into it than what was given. And my co-hosts are shocked by that comment.
1: No, I'm, I'm Oh
0: yeah, definitely shocked. Uh-huh. I,
1: I'm I'm not all green because I was actually gonna remark on that as well, is that it, it was kind of an awkward joke. And it it, it it felt like it felt like the show was just like, man, we want to dig into this, but we just don't have time, which is not bad, but it just I mean I think the show's time acknowledging okay, we recognize this, let's just kind of mention it because we have so much other stuff we've got to get through. Um so I didn't I wasn't as bothered by it obviously but um I still felt like it was a bit jarring it felt a bit wrong
2: we've repeatedly commented though about just because you acknowledge something doesn't make it better no like, no we, we acknowledge that we did this saying ha let's move on it's
1: not what you should do I will say um one thing that bothered me immensely is nothing to do with the show but everything to do with how I had to get it uh so uh, the show is not streaming in the UK I had to purchase each episode individually I purchased the episode from Google Play and the title on Google Play is A God Walks Into A Bar, two separate words. And I'm like, you have ruined the joke in the title completely. That's a nice uh, Oh, that's, 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 that. shame, shame. Uh, but aside from that, um, I really, as a person who loves time travel shows, I really loved the the structure of this, right? Um, and this is what I was talking about earlier is that, the the plot is perfectly straightforward from angela's emotional perspective um and uh i love the fact that like i mean, i'm bouncing around a bit but like just little things like the oh shit moment of angela going oh fuck did i cause this you know when when, when and, and watching in 2009 will going judd and me me almost at the same time as angela going oh shit you know <laughs> Um, it was a great use of the show of let's put these things in exactly the right order. They're not chronological, but they will make sense as you find them. And it's it's following Angela's arc more than anything else. Um, so this is a really good example of that, where this is emotional logic. And I really appreciated that.
0: Well, and it I actually think it's one of the show's strongest nods to the comic book. Mm-hmm. Right? Dr. Manhattan lives in, like, has just gone full Nietzsche, right? Totally committed to the idea of eternal return or eternal recurrence, which, you know, and I'm not going to fight with those people about which one needs to be called. Time Mm -hmm. is cyclical. We are not agents of free will. Like, this is all very, very clear in the comic, and it's not, and Alan Moore doesn't sell it cheap. He Mm -hmm. leaves it as complex as it is, and in this episode, I think for them targeting a television audience, I'm gonna give them credit for not simplifying it and watering it down. They could have a lot more than they did. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. and and that moment, that moment there where she's like, oh shit, did I do this? Like that's the you know, the whole tie of everything mm-hmm. together. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm going to applaud them for not being afraid to bring the Nietzsche. (laughs) I was very pleased with them just letting him. And there were moments where if you weren't quite paying attention, it didn't quite make sense. And that's exactly how it should be. Yep. Because it makes sense for him the way he lives in it. It doesn't make sense for anybody else. And that's okay. Um, So there were – Many things to love about how they handled Doctor Manhattan, mm-hmm. and I, I think that you know, you're when you're gonna do these things, and you're and you're gonna you're gonna come out swinging hard at a social issue like race. Every choice is a heavy choice, and. My guess is what happened was someone a, a, some sort of discussion about how do we make this couple a black couple? Right. And then all the decisions were knockoff decisions made in service of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked that they were, you know, this strong, smart, capable black couple I like that Mm -hmm. they were a team and they were partners and they had each other's backs. I like that she's a little crazy and a little angry and a little off the rails and he's kind of the calm Zen center of the world. They're raising these children, not black, not theirs, all of these things. And I'm okay with the fact that that it meant that the blue man was black and that he could have been anything. It's my
2: own inherent problems. Hence my own inherent problem with it, and yet accepting of it.
0: Like, you know he could have just as easily been white. And probably Mm. in almost anybody else's version of the show, he would have been.
2: Yeah. Which I would have detested.
0: Oh, it would have made it very, very different. And probably when they revealed that he was Dr. Manhattan, it would have pissed me off.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And it was also from the black couple perspective, it's nice that they actually showed they had adopted kids from other races because of the things that we constantly see in media is white couples adopting black kids adopting. or other marginalized kids all the time. Yep. And we don't Aegean ever kids, see the reality Asian of it kids. that, mm-hmm. that marginalized people also go and adopt kids from other races and backgrounds all the time too. Yeah. And more representation that we do not get.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Excuse
1: um, me. Definitely. And I mean, we didn't see much of Cal, but I think it's worth noting. Uh, Abdul Mateen did a amazing job making Cal and Doctor Manhattan very distinctive.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: like, the, again, what thing episode was great is that they don't show you Doctor Manhattan's face throughout all of it until the very, very end um, when he comes yeah. back as Cal. They just and, shoot him from behind. Right, and so for like most of the episode, I was like, did they get a different actor to to at least voice no. him? And no, no, it's a to yeah. team the whole time. And I'm like, that's yeah, him. amazing. I loved it so I was so reading
0: much. a little bit about it. He didn't know that he was Dr. Manhattan until after he'd already filmed the first two episodes.
1: <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Love it.
0: The showrunner oh, so sat him down and was like, so,
1: we're doing a thing with your character. Oh, and also, um, you talked before about seeing things from um, Will's perspective when he was being lynched. I feel like there's a parallel moment when she's murdering Cal, because <laughs> we're seeing it from Cal's perspective.
0: Yeah, and for sure.
1: That was so much more horrifying than anything you could have done special effects wise.
0: Yeah. He's so confused. Yeah. yeah it's pretty great. Yeah. yeah it's it pretty like, great.
1: Oh. We, just, we, we, we hear the squenching and then the blue light, and it's just like, oh, it's just. It's, so great way of uh, of show don't tell. Maybe make you, you know you don't need to show absolutely everything on the screen. You can just be subtle, but it's still it's spectacle. She's beating her husband's head open with a, a hammer. Hammer, but it's subtle. But it's subtle <laughs> because we're not seeing what's actually happening. we just imagining. But you can hear it. Yes, yes. The sound, the sound effect effect. is so good. Oh my god! Oh. And then she just, baby, we're in trouble. And it's just like. What is happening in
3: this show?
2: (laughs) So I want to take a minute, though, to go back to the raid that was done that was killing all the police officers Mm -hmm. and how we talked about there were two survivors and how now we have context that there should have only been one survivor, which should have been Judd. And the only reason Angela is here is because she was saved by Cal. Mm -hmm. right? Which then would have gone back and like cast an entire new light on the relationship between Judd and Angela. So Judd went out to befriend her specifically is what would, mm-hmm. the context we would get. So that's like beautiful storytelling right there too.
0: Yeah. And yeah. and help because of course conceptually the idea of the mass conspiracy is so ridiculous on so many levels. And if you are invested and care about narrative can be a hard sell and like they had to run all the way up against it for me to understand what they were saying about Mm judd like they sold it so well and don johnson did such a good job yes yeah so uh, yeah it was i it was uh and like again, talk about yeah.
1: the, the slight meta thing about casting Don Johnson specifically. It's like, let's cast someone who was known iconically as a good guy cop and make him this character. Yeah, um, it, It's on par with um, with casting David Tennant as the purple man in Jessica Jones. Of like, Let's take someone who's known for this role, put them in a very similar role, and then do something very different with them. And its, it's I love when they do that kind of really intelligent meta casting. So he was Don John Johnson was perfect, both as an actor and also as a meta choice for that.
0: So the Manhattan Ugh. boots.
1: <sighs> Manhattan boots. Oh, love it.
0: No, the, the boots, boots for Manhattan the where people boots. go and dress. Oh, tele- yeah, yeah. The yeah. boots where yeah. you can and true framing this as prayers unanswered.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> because because the, the God that they are praying to isn't there. He isn't listening. And then the 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 little bit of a peek into your normal average person all over the world sitting in a booth, "I have cancer." My, mm-hmm. We are hungry. My child is sick." And what was really interesting about it, to me, that they were going to true, mm-hmm. And she's not doing anything about it, and arguably. Right she could have probably done something about any of them that she wanted to mhm so these people feel helpless and and they go to god and and not like invisible omnipotent christian sky god but but like actual big blue person god that you could maybe touch mhm so, in a context, real big blue person, God, also not helping. Little Asian woman, God, also not helping.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And and this is and so this is a global story thread that's happening.
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: at the same time that that's happening, there's this other thread of people who are not. Praying to anyone, not waiting for a more powerful force to intervene. They are putting on masks and putting on hoods and taking matters into their own hands.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's really, really hard to feel like that shit's not on purpose. Oh no, I over exactly. And the just- story that they're telling, and but but they just like they just brush past it almost too fast. Like, a, ah, we're just going to throw that And I'm not saying that as a complaint. I'm just saying as a, like, there are definitely moments where you feel like whoever's in this writer's room or whoever the one person is that wrote it, I have no idea, but is like playing at multiple levels yeah. at once and just kind of tossing things out there. And maybe you're going to notice them and maybe you're not going to notice them. And maybe you're going to appreciate it and make a connection and maybe you're not and that's okay. And maybe you'll get it on the second time around or... Um. Yeah, I just thought it was a really nice, powerful piece, and such an excellent indictment of true. Yep. Who is going to save humanity by being Big Blue God? When, but you could have already saved humanity. What are you talking about? Yeah. You could buy and sell a planet like five times yeah. over. How are mm-hmm. you not making that connection? Uh, and then, you know, who was it in the end that says she'd have us all kneeling at her little blue feet? hmm Yeah.
1: And, I mean, the show is not at all subtle about casting Dr. Manhattan as God, right? Like, not only are the characters doing it, but, like, he literally creates life. Um, mm-hmm. He creates a man and a woman on a planet in a garden. Um, he walks on water. At one point, and, and specifically stops to Jesus. make sure that Angela, and, and 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 when Angel's like, "Why are you doing this?" He says, "I need you to see this, right?" So it's right, like
0: it's going to be important later,
1: right? I mean, and, and obviously it's there's, so there's awesome. a <laughs> plot reason, but also it, the show's like going, "No, seriously, Doctor Manhattan is God." I mean, it, it's not yeah. at all subtle. But again, this goes to the the spectacle thing of like, we're going to cast this person and Mimic it and just really ram home what we're doing here. And But what's fascinating is now we get to a point where in the context, we put it in context with the graphic novel, you get a whole cool new layer because the graphic novel, Light's whole point was we can't rely on a God. So we're going to frame him for doing this horrible thing so that humanity will stand on its own two feet. Fast forward to this show and it's like, yeah, no, they're still praying to Dr. Manhattan. That didn't take. And so, but then we have an example of humanity standing on its own two feet, true, who could do something and just opts out of obligation. So it's like, Everything Vite did ultimately has failed completely on every level. Um, so now, we, it's an, and then this, this episode does bring in Vite finally at this at a perfect point to say, no. Vite is smart enough to recognize that he's failed. And so when Dr. Manhattan's like, I could just take you off planet. He's like, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that, you know? Um, it, it, it's, it's a really cool thing that inside the show makes narrative sense. But when you read the graphic novel, the extra layer of like no man you just you thought you were the best person in the world and you on every level your plan is just falling apart
2: to some extent but then you get the fact that his routinely dropping squids to keep that reinforced narrative of what he did true to try to keep the global peace that was established with the death of all of those people
0: mm-hmm. oh, head, oh. baby. <laughs> <laughs> what is real what is not real? Are we so far from the real that there is no original? What's a simulacrum? And what can we say is authentic? Just all over the place.
1: This is not a pipe.
2: Absolutely. So good. <laughs> oh, But, all right, so we skip something that I love just from the, the sheer scene alone of itself is when Lori goes to confront Judd's wife, whose name eludes me. She invites her in. She sits on the couch and she lays out this immaculate like thing. She's pieced together to get her to confess that she's sure she's not going to confess. And the woman straight up confirms her plans. And she looks so shocked that she can't get up while they try to put off a booby trap that doesn't work for the first couple of times. She's like, what the fuck? What? Until she's captured. That is so amazing. And that holds true. To Vite, and when he's confronted by like Rorschach and Dan in The Watchmen, and he says, Yeah, that was my plan. I've already done it. And you get the exact yep. same thing between these two women right then. Yep. And Lori's attempt to be cool and how she was there for Vite also relives that entire experience all over again to show how yep. cyclical her life is. Um oh, mm-hmm.
1: brilliant. And on top and of she it, gets- it's a great moment of comedy too, yeah.
0: Right. Exactly. <laughs> she gets the cherry on top of all of it with her line of, who the fuck has a trap door?
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so legit. So good.
3: Oh.
1: It is
0: exactly what you would say. Because who the yes. hell has a trap door? That's yes. some Looney Tunes act me shit.
1: Which, I mean, again, uh, more uh, how amazing Regina King is, is like now she's just... We, we've gone from she's an amazing physical actor, she's an amazing badass, she's an amazing emotional actor, amazing dramatic actor, and now she has fantastic comedic timing. And it's just like, oh.
3: <laughs> yeah. So I think this might have Good. been
2: the, the start of the smartest aunt, wasn't it? When Jean Smart suddenly came back in full force and she popped up in that sh- mm-hmm. other show in HBO when she was like the mom of the yeah. cop, and then she was mm-hmm. on the comedian show. Like,
0: oh. Yeah, it's nice. So good. Yeah, I the I should say that um, I was utterly captivated by this episode both times that I watched it, and I gotta Mm. I gotta tell you, television is a thing that I do while I do other things. Mm -hmm. I work, and television is on in the background, and sometimes that that work is actual physical manual labor. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's desk work, and sometimes it's a combination of the two or something in between, and TV is on in the background. And when you asked me, Chris, if I had seen this yet, the reason the answer was no was because I wanted to just watch it. Mm -hmm. I don't watch shows like that. Mm Sort of carve out the time in my life to watch nine episodes of a thing where I mostly don't do anything else. Like, that's just not a real thing. Mm -hmm. And so I had my laptop, I had my notebook, and I, like, in my notebook for, the, for this episode is the episode number and the title. And that's it. Because I was so, like, their entire exchange in the bar owned me.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. so real. Mm-hmm.
0: And writing dialogue Is hard because people don't talk in real life the way that we hear them talk in our heads when we write it. Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So
0: dialogue is almost always weak. And then they're weaving in the forward and the backward. And, you know, because Dr. Manhattan has this whole, um, so this is someone else's line omnipresent presentation of time.
3: Mm-hmm. So they're
0: trying to represent that and they'll represent this actually happening now conversation between the two of them. And you're in the bar and you leave the bar and you're in the bar and you leave the bar and you're in the bar and you leave the bar. And, the bar, and, the bar, and I couldn't, I couldn't get enough of it. And I couldn't believe the episode was over. And I, I don't, like, I have a limited number of specific things to point to or say because I was just kind of so overwhelmed by all of it. And yeah. I am i live in a world of stories, and that's really hard to do to me. And they just did.
2: Mm-hmm. I knew that you would love this show, and I was that's why I was surprised that you hadn't seen it. And so that's one of the reasons I'm glad you decided to come on to do this. So I knew that you would watch it because I oh, yeah, knew it, a that it would excuse. resonate with you. Because no, I with can't me. do things. I have I to watch it.
0: Watchmen. <laughs> it was literally exactly what happened. It's so good.
1: And, and but you're right. I mean, like it's oh, this episode manages okay, so structurally. It's a tour de force. We've already talked about that. Uh, the dialogue is fantastic. The acting is fantastic. They managed to capture romantic chemistry between two people, one of which you never see more than his hands the entire
2: fucking conversation. He is in a mask for part of it because I want to specifically point that out. Yaya okay. is yeah, that's right. under a mask, he's in a mask doing the all of the excellent bar. work. So not only is it amazing tour de force there, but he's doing it in a mask. Through a mask, and they're shooting
0: the back of his head.
2: Yeah, yeah. And
1: I have seen "quote unquote" romantic movies that don't have as much romantic tension as those two people did in that moment. And again, it's 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 the same actors, but he's playing a very different character than Cal. So it's basically a whole new character, and they and not only do they manage it, but it's also a different romantic tension than Cal and Angela have. So it's just layer upon layer upon layer. Um, but the mask thing reminds me, um, and this is a joke just for me, frankly, probably, uh, but it reminds me of um, WCW wrestling because there was a running gag for a long time in WCW where Sting was a very prominent character. He had masks as a, as a common item the kids would sell. And so people would wear a Sting mask to sabotage someone else. Uh, and then at one point in time, um, someone showed up with a Sting mask, and then he pulled it off, and it was Sting underneath of it uh and so the commentator says why, why are you wearing a mask yourself because like, i don't want people to recognize me and so when that line came in i'm like i'm assuming it's a coincidence but that was just a, a weird silly moment of, like i laughed at that line because and an extra layer for me specifically
0: yeah
2: that one was for you but then now but this one's just for me how'd the police feel about that <laughs> <laughs> i'll be here all week uh tip your weight staff
1: uh, one thing we kind of glossed over though Oh, real quick, um, it's just also the, the master reminded me um, of Vietnam's complex relationship with Dr. Manhattan. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, th- we, we don't – it's all done through background details, like the like the, uh, the celebration and the murals and whatnot. But but it's really clear that Vietnam has an extremely complicated relationship with what Dr. Manhattan did during the Vietnam War. Uh, so – but again, it's never spelled out. So it's like little, little details that, like, the details are really good and strong, but we don't have to be told. We can just kind of soak it up as part of the ongoing narrative. And so I mean, I
0: think it is spelled out yeah, in a suicide like, bombing. Yeah. Well,
2: and it's reinforced I mean, by the puppeteer doing the series. You
0: what you need to know.
2: The puppeteer I mean, provided I mean, the bomb for the suicide bombing. Like, that's, well, I mean, and his well, okay, Dr. Manhattan puppet going, ha 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 ha.
1: Boom. Okay. I mean, I mean, yes, but even then that was kind of painted by, by the Vietnamese the, mean, police as kind of extremists, right? And so it's it's the it's but even the the details of like, yes, we have a celebration, but the whole the tenor of it was it feels very forced and very kind of people are doing it because sure. they have to.
0: Sure.
1: Um so so yes, I mean like, there, there's so some parts that are bomber
0: did say death to the
1: oppressors. Invaders? I thought it was the oppressors, but yeah, similar thing. Either right? Invaders,
0: oppressors, something Either way. I just
1: same side so,
2: same side of the same coin
0: <laughs> I I wanted more of that and I yeah. want mm-hmm. a lot more of that he does his thing this is the 51st sp- 51st state we're now at decades under us occupation but I didn't want it here right I want that show right right because unless they're going to give that a whole episode, there's no way that they're not going to just short it.
2: Right. And I want to take a minute, though, to point out that your your one of your points was that the police said that. We've already established in this show that the police saying something is suspect. So the police sure, telling you someone's an extremist and then taking the extremist around a corner after it was identified by a child mm-hmm. and executing mm-hmm. them. Like... That in of itself should give you an idea of how extreme both sides of this are and how, like, lively yes. this is constantly engaging. Completely
1: agree. On. Completely agree. Lively. That, lively. That, lively. Um, yes, lively. But I did okay. but I'm talking about a complex relationship. It, it, it's, it, the it, there's also things like <laughs> the fact that all the Vietnamese characters speak Vietnamese, all of the non-Vietnamese characters speak American English, and they understand each other perfectly well, but neither side cedes their linguistic ground, right? It, it's an interesting dynamic that says something without spelling it out.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean I'm agree I 100% agree. I'm here for the story. I want the story. I was not disappointed yep. that it wasn't here. Um yep. because there isn't any because if you do it here then what we got becomes something else. Right. Um and I want to be really happy with and take what I got.
2: Yeah, like
1: but, but yeah, I would love a- I, I think you could do a whole season just about set in Vietnam. Let's talk about that, you know. Um
2: Oh I'd my love god, I yes. watch him in extended universe.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: We Hold get our yet. anthology series, we get our Vietnam series, we get our uh what was it? Angela as Dr. Manhattan, Sister mm-hmm. Sister Manhattan series.
0: <laughs> I want to know how the Silk Spectre became the FBI's top vigilante hunter. Mhm. I watched that show yeah, absolutely. Gene Smart all over it. i have so watched that show.
2: Her and her her uh Dr. Midnight fill-ins that we get to see in one episode we did not watch. Would you watch the episode about Lube Man, who we did also did not see?
0: Sure. <laughs> it I'm would just there. be him running
2: and sliding into like sewers.
0: <laughs> so here's my big what I wanted that I didn't get.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What I think they kind of left on the floor behind. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: So we know that the um, conspiracy theory, mesmerizing, we're going to steal Dr. Manhattan group is called Cyclops. And Cyclops has been around since the 30s. Right. Right. And so now, now we know as we understand how Cyclops has unfolded how the cops started wearing masks, that all of this is the underplot for the villains.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So in in the opening, the picture that's painted is that the cops are the good guys. and And like, really, they mean that. The cops are the good guys. The cops are the ones who are fending off the racists and trying to actually protect the people. You can believe that or not believe that. And by the end of the show, we know that that's not true. Mm-hmm. That this is this has all been the cover, the harbor for the big racist plot and all the racist underlings.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And putting them in masks was on purpose. So they could be who they were going to be and do what they could do what they were gonna do and run their secret nefarious plot. And then we get to the end of episode nine and we understand all these powerful people who are racists, senators, captains of industry, people with money, legacy. But we never circle back around and put the lens back on the police, which I was really Mm -hmm. disappointed in because I think I think their opening position is a charged one and is not one that I'm willing to take at face value. And then they heaped on that by episode three, when the cops went to Nixonville, which point for that and, and (laughs) fucking mob justice style dragged, you know, uh, profiled and dragged people out of their homes Mm
3: -hmm.
0: after the cheat right behaved exactly the way cops are going to fucking behave. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So then they, so then they, Oh, look, (laughs) we're still just motherfuckers with badges. And we get all of this. Like, yes, yes, yes. That thing that you, yeah. And that other thing. Yeah. All the way to the end. And then there's nothing. We're just done. Yeah. And I will say that from a narrative perspective, when you're dealing with something as large as the death of Dr. Manhattan, like I'm not entirely sure how you do that, Mm -hmm. but I would have liked to have seen a try. I would like to have seen an attempt.
2: Well, I think because again, they
0: open the show by saying that this is about, masks and justice and righteousness and who you trust and who is right and what is the law and and they end the show with well not that
2: in in one sense you could say they end the show on a note of hope if we want to go ahead and like I think of our I think I've already spoiled how the show ends hey i am giving you you multiple multiple angles you you end the concept of 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 hope on one side where you have Angela um sister midnight potentially having the powers of dr manhattan with all the knowledge of what's happened before a person that has suffered tragedy and pain but is out doing good so we'd have a more proactive force for good with a background that came from all of that to try to do something possibility a possibility b is the one i'm more inclined to believe is that the parallel between the, the police masking up goes back to some of the roots of the KKK and goes back that the police force in the U S started from, um, enslaved catchers who would people that they would hire to go out and capture enslaved people that escape to come back. That is what the American police force came from. And then yep. when they outlawed enslavement, they turned it into a prison system that still primarily, a lot of the focus is on keeping black people and other marginalized people suppressed under heel and that is what the show is trying to tell us on a nicer level and i'm debating it's 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 late in the in the show now for me to get back on my soapbox but i agree I would just end it with I agree that I would have liked to have seen that more readily addressed instead of leaving it on that note of Angela stepping onto the water and us not knowing what happens because there's too many other variables out in that world that I want to know as a black man living in America. I want to see that show. I'm stop there. I will not break up my soapbox at a two two
0: hour marker. Okay, well, I'm going to nudge your soapbox out just a little bit. I think your two versions are really generous. What I think happened is they went bad apples, hand wave.
2: You could see that because the police chief who would have been like the instigator of it all. And we had uh-huh. our black cop in the first episode. But I'm being generous for me because you are. Uh, That's
0: what you do. <laughs> I,
2: I I have specific reasons. I'm giving this show the minute of the doubt because of the swings it came out and took. And I understand that to make something, there's got to be some fucking level of compromise. And to get an HBO budget in the spot like they got, they had to yeah. probably compromise on a few things. Yeah. Because I mean, honestly, American, yeah.
0: American media doesn't get to say cops are bad.
2: Not even American, like global media doesn't really get to say yeah. that much. Yeah.
0: Uh, you should see you should see some of the Greek stuff I've seen. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I don't care. I want to make sure that think... we're just
2: not limited to America. It is a larger than just America problem.
0: Um, yeah, you're right. I just want to be snarky.
1: That's oh, okay. I get you. That's, that's, that's 90% of the show. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think I think it, it, it points to another, really my only real criticism of the show as a whole and it's something I've rarely said the past dozen or so episodes, is that the show's too short. Um, This show has so many good ideas, so many fascinating, amazing ideas. And I don't think any ending would have been completely satisfying, right? Because there's just so much going on. And all of it is interesting and compelling. Uh, uh, Even the, I I made a joke about the Adrian Bite stuff being kind of just a weird thread, but I mean, even at the end, I'm, 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 like you said, still drawn in. Jeremy Irons draws you in. The, the, what's the mystery of what's going on there? And even when it's solved, we're still seeing, you know, the the game warden kind of uh, pushing his agenda and whatnot. So it's all interesting and compelling and acted well and shot well and told well and and written well. So it, I, I'm with you, Chris. Like when people are saying, oh, it should end season one. It's like why? Nothing about this ending tells me it's done. There's there's so much more. Angela's story may be done and I respect Regina King for saying that but the world's story is by no means done.
2: There's a lot I, of unanswered questions. I don't hmm? remember saying where Regina King said Angela's story was done. Should,
1: yeah, I thought, I thought she said that she said the
2: story was done. Lindelof sure said it. he was done telling his story. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that. My apologies.
1: Because um, I, I think I must... Angela's
2: story is just starting. I think there's it would have been amazing to see a black woman given the powers of a god and how that impact that would have had oh no i agree i was like, just saying, I, I was is... interested
1: so I, I thought the actress was saying or the actress saying she was done with it but if that's not true then i take that back um i i, I but i think regardless I, I there's a lot more here to tell um and i'm not necessarily against uh, uh i don't think all media has to wrap up every single dangling storyline but um there's just so much here, and frankly, it's just a lot of everything here is amazing, and I want more of it. Some of it's a buffet problem, right? It's like I want to sample everything. It's just constantly until so I get sick.
2: Well, people cough on those buffets. So I don't understand why people want to go eat the buffet. That is like one of the most disgusting things <laughs> I've ever seen. I'm not even a germaphobe, but I tell you, I've, I've worked in restaurants. Kids sneeze on those motherfuckers. Adults cough on them. People pick up stuff, taste it, put it back on the –
0: you, you don't have faith in mind. the magical glass shield? <laughs> I guess it's plastic. <laughs> Magic. Magic.
2: Uh, all right. Ariel, yeah, as whatever. our guest. Yes. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, no. I'll, I'll mute I this just, mic if you don't speak.
0: He was <laughs> just, Eddie was talking about more episodes and, um, you know, I I had to I I, I chose the three that we were going to talk about and I had a really hard time Mm -hmm. um, because I, you know, I felt like we should talk about one because it sets everything up, but that was really trite. And and in the end, it was kind of a, I felt like it was unnecessary, but really my hard, hard choice was episode five, which is Wade's story, looking glasses Mm. story and a story about the trauma and New Jersey and the squids and the, and I, I have seen Tim Blake Nelson in many things and always liked him. Sadly, I did not bother to learn his name until this, because I was going to (laughs) be damn sure I said his name on this podcast.
2: Mm -hmm. Underappreciated.
0: So like I could have watched three episodes about just his arc, just the Bible boy, to trauma, to truth, totally could have signed up for that. So, and and on some level, yeah, I mean, Lady True, and I wrote her name down, Hong Chao. Mm-hmm. She was great. I've seen the actress and other things. She's, fa- she's fantastic. And Boydie, did I, like, and I mean the whole, even all the way up to the end, had an intense love-hate <laughs> relationship with her. Yeah. even as you know she's like uh reaping the benefits of the hillbillies after they've after they've taken him out i, 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 I like i still don't all hate her mm-hmm. um yeah so and and my god you know the story of her and her daughter mother beyond and j- i mean just, Love it. okay they're uh, they're there which the, i gotta tell you that girl what's her name Jolie Huang rapport, her being both simultaneously like 15 and 90.
1: Oh God, yeah.
0: Owned it. She was so good. Okay, I'm ready for like four episodes of just that insanity. <laughs> like I want to see her life before when she works for Vite and she does the impregnate and then the and then the after and the daughter and then the and the clone and the like I want the whole thing. I'm so and, and, also, I, I, mean, and just, I want to know how Lady True figures out that it's fucking elephants.
1: Yeah. Yeah, just, right. Um, I would watch a whole show of so Justice events. versus the KKK. I mean, i love that. You know, right? That'd be amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: So when you so, ask about nostalgia, one of the other reasons I like nostalgia so much is that it has a purpose outside of just Angela. It's true. But now that you see yeah. that Lady True created it for her mother which goes back to reinforcing lady true's character which also reinforces angela's character immaculately beautiful writing and um you you mentioned my my buddy tim blake nelson shout out to tim blake nelson underappreciated if you've not seen the ballad of buster scruggs watch the first 15 minutes and you'll see tim blake nelson doing something completely different that is captivating yeah Mm -hmm. he's
0: a he's a damn gem man
2: yeah. As our final thoughts, I think you just did it though, Ariel. So we're at the final thoughts. As our guest, you can go first. Any final thoughts on the television show that is one season but should be 20, Watchmen?
0: I am a, a philosopher and a critic at heart, and it's stunning to me how little mm, critical things I have to say about the show. That's not usually where I land. And uh, someone said to me that they thought that Watchmen, in a modern-day context, is presenting a a grappling with race that is complex and interesting and and basically kind of the best in media in a long time. And I'm absolutely going to, like, even more double down on that. That's absolutely true. This is probably one of the best things I've seen in, like, 20 years in any media, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I'm I am thrilled. Thank you so much for asking me, Chris, and making me watch this thing. I was a little embarrassed that it came out in 2019. I was like, oh, that can't be right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but I
0: got there. I got there eventually. Um, There's been yeah, a whole pandemic. It's, it's fine. <laughs> it's uh, and and you know, Chris knows my life was was a particular tragic soap opera during the pandemic so the pandemic was like 15 years long for me so oh geez so this was this was uh yeah it was amazing and lots of stuff firing for me and i'm uh i appreciate getting to talk with you all about it
2: i'm glad you enjoyed it uh eddie do you have any final closing thoughts on watching the tv series it should have run for 30 Um, seasons that ended too soon
0: i feel (laughs)
1: like this is what our our podcast does really well is, is I feel like we have succeeded when someone, in your case, Ariel uh, goes, I hadn't watched that, and then find something to love as a result, right? I feel like we're doing our jobs if that happens. Uh, I'm glad we ended on this for a lot of reasons because I completely agree, this is just fantastic television, regardless of the genre, regardless of the medium. But also, you couldn't tell the same story if you didn't have superheroes involved this is a good example of when the genre matters and shapes the story into something that elevates both. Uh, so um, I don't have anything critical to say that I haven't already said. Um, it was one of the few times through all this that I genuinely went back and really enjoyed watching it again because I actually got more this time around. And that says a whole lot about a show. So it's, one of the few times, of, I mean, a lot of times we've said you should go back and watch the whole show, but this is one where I absolutely believe that not only is it good television, good television, but also each episode hangs on its own, which is something that's very rare in modern TV. Um, and so we, said, we I'm glad you picked this choice, uh, uh, Ariel, because not only is it three episodes in a serialized form, but also each one is very different. We have a time travel mm-hmm. episode, we have a history episode, we have a superhero plot episode, and they all feel distinct while separately all pushing narrative forward. So even that is, is, is great. So I I need to stop because I'll keep talking about the show forever. It's it's a, it's a amazing show.
0: But I think it is really well, important to say that we talked about these three episodes and we've told you a lot, but we have not – like there's so much show we yeah. haven't talked about at all because the other six episodes are all telling different stories or building on different stories or starting from somewhere else and so like you gotta watch it all sorry yeah go yeah
2: unlike my my fellow co-hosts i do have some some critical complaints that i would like to
3: express
2: (laughs) is that the show came out in 2019 and it was primarily well loved i think it had like a 96 percent on rotten tomatoes i think that might have been me checking way back in the day i could be wrong I, that's like a soft 30 percent certainty if someone wants to google but the my biggest complaint is for as phenomenal as the show is is groundbreaking as important as it is, is as television after what the past four or five years no one talks about it it's ceased to exist like it was a blip But you still have people talking about WandaVision. You still have people talking about like the Flash TV show and all these other shows. And that is because, other than WandaVision, they get multiple seasons. And that keeps it resonant in mind. And people constantly go back to it and they reference it. And it has enough of a canon of episodes that you can keep coming back to it. While I think we can all, all, I think in honesty on this podcast, we all love this show. There's only so many times we could watch these nine episodes before we can't really come back to it. How you could come back to like, seven seasons of the flash 15 of supernatural you can keep coming back to that for decades and decades to come and the fact that we cannot have that with a show like this makes me hate this medium and want to change the entire system so my complaint (laughs) that i'm lobbying is not against the show but it's against the system that stops shows like this from succeeding Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, there's Nothing else about the show. Errol, if people were looking for you online and, and you wanted them to find you or you wanted them to buy something that you've worked on, where could they go to do that?
0: Um, I had the great privilege of writing for Harlem Unbound, which you can find at com.
2: Actually, that's a second edition. So you could find that at Chaosium, who were Chaosium. nice enough to that's publish right. a second edition book. After first edition won a bunch of awards. Was put in museums and everything else. They decided they could then publish second edition for me. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, if people want to try to reach you via social media. Is that something they can do?
0: No. All right. <laughs> Fair. Message Crest. He'll forward it to me. <laughs> I'm old and cranky. I don't like social media.
2: All three of those statements are true s- for me too. Um,
0: I got nothing else to say yes but you have accepted the necessary evil that it is and I have not even though I have a project that I love as much as you love your project and yet (laughs) so no maybe next year I'll change it I've been thinking about it
2: okay I want to hear more about that Eddie if people are looking to reach you on social media buy some of your brilliance that's been encapsulated into different works where can they go to do those things
1: um well, uh, uh, I'm, I'm kind of crisscrossing with Eric I'm about I'm, – I'm slowly fading out of social media. <laughs> um, uh, but um, right now, you can still find me in a few different places at PugSteady. That's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. My website is PugSteady.com. You can find me on Dice.camp, You can find me on Blue Sky – Blue Sky? Whatever. Whatever. I don't even blue know what it's called. Anymore, not Twitter. Um, but mostly, you can find me X. on the – dark. At, oh God, X. Right, we we can't dead name Twitter. Um, or you can find me on Discord, uh, posting memes at Chris, or being buffled by Chris's memes posted at me.
2: And if you're looking for me, as previously stated, you could buy *Harlem Second Condition* that Arrow made a beautiful, beautiful piece of words in that elevated the entire text. Uh, at Chaosum website, oh. or if you want to buy *Haunted West*, you could come to Darker Hue website where I wrote a a short little book about the Old West, a mere 806 pages. Um, If you're looking for me online, much like Eddie, I I think I'm almost done with social media, but I am (laughs) still on X slash Twitter slash the dumpster fire that Elon has made uh, on Blue Sky. Or you can come into the Discord, where I will likely send a meme or a GIF of some kind and make the occasional dad joke. Awesome.
1: Uh, once again, thank you so much, Ariel. This has been a fantastic conversation. I've had so much fun chatting with you. Thank
0: you so much <laughs> for having me. It's been tons of fun. You guys are great.
1: And next you, week, uh, before... Chris and I will be back to talk about... No, we're going to talk about the wrap-up. We still have to do the wrap-up.
0: No,
2: week. No, next week, season two, Green Arrow.
1: Next week, we're going to wrap up this season <laughs> and never talk about superheroes again until Chris and I inevitably talk about comic books again because that's who we are as people. So we'll see you next week to wrap up our thoughts on superheroes as a whole. Catch you later. Peace and you.